This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors. This is Invest Talk, and today is Thursday, February 15th, 2024. My name is Luke Guerrero, and I thank you for allowing me to spend the next hour with you. And the key word there is really you, because that's who this show is about. Every weekday, we meet here to try and help you on your journey to becoming a better investor. Now, as always, we'll talk about the market, how it ended up today, and what that can help tell us about how the market will perform tomorrow, next week, next month, and into next year. We'll run down some show topics in a bit, but more importantly, you will decide how we spend this time together. You are in the driver's seat. To that end, before we talk about the market today, let's start off by answering our first caller question that came in earlier to 888-99-CHART. Hey guys, Kyle from Texas. Just calling about Monday.com. So I was on a recommendation, Motley Fool. Don't know much about it, so just want to get y'all the expertise on it. Thank y'all, appreciate it. So Monday.com is a software company, an enterprise software company, and they offer a platform that connects people and powers internal transparency. Transparency, it, it helps with work productivity. Now, diving in a little bit there, it's a $10 billion market cap company. It's got very little debt, pays no dividend, and that's because it's never had positive earnings. Now, its gross margins are significant, around 88%. That's very significant, especially compared to the rest of the sector. But the fact that once you get to the EBITDA part of the equation, it turns negative tells me that they have a lot of operating expenses. And that's because they do a lot of R&D. They do a lot of innovation to try and compete with some of those other software companies. So the cash flow's there, but the profitability just isn't yet. And even though they have no debt, especially given where tech valuations are coming out of last year and where they continue to head, and looking at this chart, which has had a little bit of a run, especially after they had some, some positive news coming out of the past two quarters, it... It seems like it's a decent company, but I still can't get over the fact that its price to book is about 13. That's significantly high, especially for a company that doesn't make much money. So for now, where it is, it has to be a pass for me. Thanks for the call. Now, we got a lot of ground to cover in the next 45 minutes or so. So time permitting, we're going to be talking about the two great myths of social security reform. One of them, you may not know about. The other, you certainly do. Then we're going to talk a little bit about retail sales figures that just came out this week and how particularly cold weather might have affected those. A little later on, we might talk about the commodity sector and how over the past year and going into the next year, it could be significantly different than it has been over the next decade. And if we have time, after getting to your questions, we'll talk a little bit about Japan and the United Kingdom and how the U.S. is diverging 
from the west of the world in terms of economic output. Also, we got some caller voice bank questions ready to play, including one on XMHQ, which is the Invesco S&P mid-cap quality ETF, and GDX, which is the Vanek Gold Miners ETF. Now let's talk about market performance today. U.S. equities ended higher, just off best levels, in what was really a broad-based rally, coming after stocks finished higher the day before. Small caps had another good session. The Russell 2000 small cap index outpaced the S&P 500 by nearly 200 basis points. It was a good day for energy, for REITs, chemicals, industrial metals, with big tech kind of mixed after some disappointing earnings from some companies. Treasuries firmed up a little bit across the curve as the dollar index was slightly down. And in the world of commodities, WTI crude was up nearly 2% on the day. Overall, despite the CPI release earlier in the week, the market is still generally favoring disinflation. With earnings season almost over, the common theme seemed to be a heightened focus on efficiency and cost cutting. On the global front, as we mentioned at the top of the show, Japan, as well as the UK, reported negative real GDP growth yet again, though there was no significant impact on US markets. A big day for economic data with January retail sales coming in a little lower than expected, something we'll talk about a little later on in the show, and initial jobless claims coming in below expectations as well. And looking forward, all eyes will be on tomorrow's PPI release, a far more important measure of the trajectory of inflation than CPI. Now we're going to a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Voice Bank. You're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in Silicon Valley area. Call now at 888-99-CHART. InvestTalk callers make each podcast unique. I was calling about Intel, if it's worth holding on to or should I sell it? Their questions are curious... Hello, I have saved up around $80,000, and I was wondering what I should do to make it grow. Careful. Oh, I'm just wondering, is this a value trap? Because it looks like it's gone down quite a bit. Concerned. Uh, it's taken quite the tumble today. I've been trying to get out of this position for a while. I think I waited too long. And clever. This seem to be situated in some areas of expanding population. And Justin Klein, Steve Peasley, and now Luke Guerrero, are always ready with their unbiased answers. And this is, it looks like a classic example of chasing yield. Don't chase the yield. Next 12 months price to earnings is around 30. I just don't see it at this price. Don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Everybody wants a secure financial future. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Invest Talk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin Malou. This is Rocky here from Bay Area. I have a question regarding uh, the S&P indexes. In one of the recent podcasts, uh, uh, you mentioned you didn't like how the S&P organizes sectors like the S&P 400 or the S&P 600. What is your, what's your take on it and why you don't really like that particular sort of arrangement? The reason I ask is I wanted to invest into an ETF that tracks the mid-cap sector, that's XMHQ. What is your take on it? 
Thank you. Yeah, so first and foremost, let's tackle the first part of that question, and that's about why I personally don't like the S&P indices. And uh, that's not to say that they're poor indices. My point is generally that we should realize how an index is constructed and what that construction tells us. So when people interpret the S&P 500 as being a U.S. market-focused index, it is. It's U.S. stocks. But it's blue chip U.S. stocks that are selected by a committee that maybe isn't as transparent as some other index providers like Russell 3000 is very transparent in how they track the market. So that's the first part. Now, your question about the XMHQ specifically, for those who don't know, XMHQ is a passively managed portfolio of about 80 securities that tracks the S&P Midcap 400 quality index. So the quality index is going to focus on some factors like return on equity and, and look, at, look at what types of earnings they're getting, the quality of earnings they're getting. It's essentially putting a prof and maybe a little bit of a, a value tilt on this index. Now, what's interesting to note about it is it actually started as the Russell Midcap Equal Weight Index before they transitioned into being an S&P Midcap Index. The thing that's really striking to me, though, is its expense ratio. 25 basis points for a passively managed index. Seems a little expensive to me, considering they say themselves they only rebalance semi-annually. So if you're looking to get mid-cap exposure, if I'm being honest, I would look for an actively managed ETF. I think you can probably find one for the 20 to 30 basis point range. What are the benefits of looking for an actively managed one? Rebalancing. They're not going to constrain themselves to rebalance twice a year. Right now, their largest company is SMCI. It's at a 7.5% weight. That's because the last time the index reconstituted, SMCI was in it. It had a price run-up. Now a passively managed index ETF can't take advantage of this run-up, can't rebalance, can't lower risk associated with having that much in one security. So overall, I think if you want a passively managed index, find one that's a little cheaper. If you're looking to get exposure to a specific subset of the market, I would look towards a lower cost actively. Thanks for the call. Now let's keep moving and play two in a row from the Invest Talk Voice Bank. You know the number, 888 99Chart. And this question came in from a listener in Minnesota. Hi, this is Max calling from Minnesota. Uh, my question is regarding startup companies. I know how you guys feel about IPOs and how they're not always the best opportunities. But I was wondering what you think about companies like Start Engine and investing in these companies that aren't necessarily on the market yet. Thanks. Bye. So the question is about investing essentially in pre-IPO companies. And I think it can be very situationally specific. But anybody who does want to do it has to know the risks of investing in a private company. The number one being lack of liquidity. If you want to buy shares in Apple and you need the money that you spent buying shares in Apple, you can go to the market and sell shares in Apple. That's not going to be the case for pre-IPO companies. There's a lot of risk and there's potentially huge reward, but the level of risk also makes it maybe not right for everybody. So again, I'm not saying that it's a bad idea to invest in pre-IPO companies. Plenty of people, plenty of very smart investors have made a lot of money doing it. But as always, understand what you own. 
and know the risks. Now let's keep moving and start talking about my first focus point today, which concerns the story, the two great myths of social security reform. In short, today's social security discussions are the product of arbitrary decisions that have no effect on the nation's financial health. I'll drill down into this for you in a little bit. But first, it's important to know what those two myths are. One is about the Social Security Trust account. Many believe that for Social Security to survive, its books must be balanced perfectly. However, Social Security operates on a pay-as-you-go basis, fundamentally different from investor funds or savings accounts. It's funded by current payroll taxes to pay current benefits. The idea of an accumulated reserve in the form of marketable investments is more of a conceptual framework than a literal pool of assets. So the so-called trust fund, the Social Security trust account, is essentially just an account of the government's promise to pay, not really investments in a traditional sense. Another widespread myth is that reforming Social Security to balance Social Security benefits to ensure that financial health is an insurmountable challenge, which is far from the truth. Social Security's financial structure is not set in stone. Adjustments can be made to align its revenues with its expenditures. These adjustments could involve various measures such as modifying payroll taxes, altering benefit formulas, or changing eligibility criteria. The path to reform isn't blocked by a lack of options, but by the need for political will and consensus. Now, any chart you see showing you that Social Security is going to become insolvent is a fantasy because, as we've mentioned, it's just an accounting on a sheet of paper. But that doesn't mean it doesn't need reform. It doesn't mean that U.S. government spending policy doesn't need reform. Because here's a thought experiment for you. Imagine if Social Security were initially funded directly from general revenues instead of dedicated payroll taxes. The conversation would be about funding sustainability. It would be vastly different, focusing on its role within the broader budget. But that's not how it is. Focusing solely on Social Security misses the forest for the trees. The real issue is how the government manages its overall budget, how it generates revenue and prioritizes spending across all programs, including Social Security. The goal should be, like we tell investors with regards to their portfolio, a holistic approach that looks at everything, looks at all fiscal policy, that supports economic growth and ensures the well-being of all citizens. Addressing Social Security's future doesn't require reinventing the wheel. Practical solutions exist that can balance its finances without sacrificing the program's integrity or the benefits it provides to millions of Americans. As we move into a break, I ask you to remind your friends and family members about our free Invest Talk downloads, available at iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Please be sure to review and rate us on iTunes. You can follow us on social media and learn more anytime at investtalk.com. My phone lines are open. We'll be right back. I'll be waiting for your questions at 888-99. This is InvestTalk. Please tell your friends and family members that they can download our weekday podcast for free anytime at investtalk.com or iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. 
And when you download and listen, please be sure to rate our podcasts. Our Anytime Listener line is open, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Luke and Justin. All the best to Steve as well. I'm calling about two stocks I own. I think you guys might own them for clients. Um, Civitas, C-I-V-I, and Snap-on. Both are um, sort of in the value bracket, obviously two different companies. Both have taken a bit of a hit recently. Um, Civitas has dropped with the general energy sector and Snap-on has taken a big hit on earnings. And I was just wondering what your thoughts are on these companies now. And are you looking at a potential time where we should be picking some up at a good value as the um, projections for both companies look pretty good? Um, Debt levels, PE ratios and such are are not um, exorbitant like some of the tech stocks. Um, I'd love to get your views on this and whether either of these, if you can comment on both, are a buy, sell or hold. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to your answer. So the first company, Civitas, C-I-V-I, engages in the production of carbon neutral oil and gas. It develops and produces crude oil, natural gas and natural gas liquids. As the caller mentioned, it makes sense that this company is down. It's down with the rest of the energy sector. The way that energy-related commodities have moved, these types of companies are directly tied to the price movements of oil and natural gas. So your first part of your question, now is a good time to pick up energy companies. Even though valuations have fallen, due to cost-cutting measures across the board, so many energy companies have streamlined processes that cash flow is great. That's why you see consolidation within the sector. Now, could the price fall even more? Of course it could, because it's directly related to commodities, which tend to be volatile. Bunch of factors, geopolitical factors, global demand factors, all of those will affect it. But that's why we as long-term investors can find opportunities that even if the price goes down today, tomorrow, good, solid, fundamentally sound companies like Civitas, There's always a good time to buy, as long as it is fundamentally sound, like this one is. Now, the next question was about Snap-on, which engages in the manufacture and marketing of tools, equipments, diagnostics, repair information, and system solutions. Now, looking at this company over the past year, it had a rebound in terms of cash flow. Its profitability has come up as well. Now, it had a drop-off. It had some disappointing earnings. But overall... Its outlook looks good. Slight increase in earnings projected for 2024, nearly a dollar and a half from 1892 to 2002 and 2025. They've been buying back shares over the past couple years, which is great. They pay a healthy dividend, not too large, 2.8%. Certainly they can sustain it. They have low debt levels. Their earnings are good. I have no problem with either of these. So if you're looking to add to energy, I think now's a great time to add to energy. The sector is, is undervalued. Overall, like you mentioned, regardless of how charts move, investing in companies that are fundamentally sound is always a winning strategy. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot to our next talking point, which is about the retail sales figures that came out this week. Now January's retail sales took a sharp downturn, marking the largest decline since March of the previous year. 
is unexpected for many, especially when you couple that with the revisions that showed a decrease in sales for the preceding months of November and December as well. Initially, this might paint a somewhat grim picture of consumer spending and economic momentum. However, as with everything, as we always say, it's crucial to look beyond the surface and not overinterpret the data and what it says about the economy. Now, there are many reasons why January in particular can be a bad month for retail sales. One reason for this decline is seasonal factors, and another, believe it or not, is something that I particularly love because I'm an avid skier, and that's the cold and the snow, the weather. And both of these points should serve as a reminder of the complexities in interpreting retail data, especially with the additional factors like the COVID pandemic introducing further distortions. So let's tackle the second point I made, the weather, because that I think is the most interesting part. The weather certainly played its role, with significant impacts seen across various sectors, building materials and garden equipment. Store sales saw a notable plunge, as did receipts at motor vehicles and parts dealers. Snowstorms affected large parts of the country, and because of that, a drop in gasoline station receipts reflected lower pump prices, contributing to the overall decline in retail sales. Manufacturing wasn't immune to January's harsh weather either, experiencing a dip in production, yet the outlook remains cautiously optimistic. Other economic reports suggest a nearing end to goods prices deflation, with import prices seeing their most considerable gain in nearly two years, driven primarily by petroleum and other goods. But despite the downturn in retail sales, certain areas like food services and drink places saw growth, these types of places, of course, being a key indicator of household financial health. In essence, while retail sales experienced a significant drop, it's essential to view this within the broader economic context. Consumer spending is expected to continue its growth trajectory, supported by real disposable income increases and a solid overall economic foundation. Now, on the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this topic, how to use real estate in your portfolio, what you need to know about the advantages and risks of investing in real estate. Real estate is a broad asset class that includes both public and private investments, as well as both equity and debt security. Well, that's tomorrow, but for now, I'm Luke Guerrero, and I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so 
Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. Everybody wants a secure financial future. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Invest Talk, 888 99Chart. Hey, Justin, Stephen, Luke. I was calling today about uh, your opinion on GDX. I currently own it in my 403 and 457. It's currently about 3 or 4% of my portfolio. It is down about 15%. So I'm thinking about dollar cost averaging lower. Uh, wondering what you think of going up to five or six percent, and what you think of GDX overall. All right, thank you. GDX is the Vanek Gold Miners ETF. It's about an eleven billion dollar fund with a fifty-one basis point expense ratio. It tracks a market cap weighted index of gold mining firms. And after 2013, there was an overhaul to the fund and it's no longer limited to US listed firms, nor does it filter out to firms that have hedged their gold exposure derivatives. In addition, it includes firms mining other precious metals in addition to gold. So it's not purely a pure play gold miner. Um, and so it includes all the major names, but its broader take on the mining space means it gives a little bit less weight to some of the bigger firms than you may find in a different ETF. I don't have any problem with it. Uh, you know, generally it's just going to follow follow goat. It's a good way to get gold exposure, especially if you don't want to limit yourself to investing in just one uh, mining name. I also have no problem with you moving that up to, to 5 6%. And I think now with the, with the price moving over the past couple of days, it's a good time to dollar cost average in. So you know, I have no problem with, with this one. Uh, maybe for diversity's sake, take a look at some other gold mining ETFs that are more of a pure play into gold. But either way, I think you're, you're on the right track. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot to another question that came in earlier on 888-99-CHART. Good afternoon, Invest Talks. Today I'm calling about two cool companies, Console Energy Inc., ticker symbol CEIX, and ARC Resources, ticker symbol ARCH. I currently have a position in Console Energy at 1.7% of my portfolio, and I'm looking to increase my position along with opening position in ARC. Both companies fundamentally speak for themselves with industry-leading profitability, net cash on their balance sheet, and excellent cash flows. There appears to be a significant drop in revenue and earnings this year compared to last year. But what do you think of the industry long-term? Thank you for taking my call, and I'll be listening on the podcast. So the first company, Console Energy, engages in the production of bioluminous coal, which focuses on the extraction and preparation of coal in the Appalachian Basin. 
while Arch Resources engages in the production and distribution of thermal coal and operates in the Powder River Basin and other thermal areas. Like any other name that is dependent on coal or dependent on oil for all those energy stocks, it's going to be dependent on the price that you can get for that commodity. And like you said, both of these names are fundamentally sound. ARCH looks like it's having some meaner vision beyond some extraordinary items that it's still going to make more money in 2024 than it did in 2022. Its profitability increased over the past year. Its cash flow kind of became more stable. I don't have any problem with either of these names. ARCH doesn't have that much debt. Let's take a look at Hansel, see what their debt picture is. Console doesn't have that much debt either. $212 million on a $2.3 billion market cap. It looks like next year it's projected to come back to reality. They made $19 in 2023, but in 2022 they made $13 per share. Either way, I think both of these companies are fundamentally sound. I like your idea in terms of the space that you're trying to invest in. I would just be on the lookout for CEIX. It has 8% short interest. That could do one of two things. It could be a signal from the market that maybe this thing is overvalued. It could also be the impetus for a run-up. But either way, I don't see any big glaring issues here. They're, they're both reasonably valued relative to their fundamentals. Thanks for the call. Now let's pivot over to a, another talking point. And this one is actually relevant to that last question because it's about commodities the unpredictable world of commodity markets, where recent years have seen a whirlwind of activity and speculation. Not long ago, the buzz was all about a potential new super cycle in commodities, fueled by a robust economic recovery post-COVID and a global pivot towards green energy. However, the landscape today presents a different picture, challenging that earlier optimism. Key commodities like lithium and nickel, crucial for electric vehicle batteries, saw their prices soar in the past three years, only to witness a dramatic downturn. Nickel's price, after soaring in 2021 and 2022, halved since the start of 2023, while lithium has plummeted by more than 80%. This steep decline is mirrored in the Bloomberg Commodities Index, which tracks a variety of goods, including foodstuff, fuel, and metals, and has fallen by 29% from its peak in mid-2022. Oil demand forecasts are now more divided than ever reflected varying assumptions about government policies on fossil fuel consumption. Now, while the IA, or sorry, the IEA, the International Energy Agency, projects a modest increase in oil demand, reaching 106 million barrels per day by 2028, OPEC, who may have a different agenda, sees that demand rising to 110 million barrels within five years and continuing to grow thereafter. The complexity of commodity trading is muddled by what drives it. Economic cycles, production capacity, political shifts, and technological advances. These elements not only affect the current state of markets, but also cloud the future of the green transition. The EV market, despite its growth, faces its own set of uncertainties. Sales are increasing, yet the pace of growth and the evolving technology of EV batteries raise questions about future demand for traditional battery materials like nickel and lithium, something we have talked about. Political dynamics add another layer of complexity. 
complexity. Recent moves by governments in the developed world suggest a growing concern over the cost of energy transition, potentially signaling a much-needed shift in green policies. Now, forecasting the direction of commodity markets over the next year is a daunting task. It always is. It's more now. Made even more challenging by the opaque strategies of governments, especially China. For those of you that are looking to get in on the green revolution and directly invest in those commodities that will support it, like lithium, the overall level of uncertainty should certainly give you pause for the near term. Now let's go to Will in San Diego, who has a question about Meta. Do you own it or are you looking to buy it? Well, I own it, and I'm thinking that maybe I should put in a trailing stop. So I wanted your opinion. Should I just put in a regular stop or a trailing stop? Because I'm up on it, you know, significantly. Well, I like where your head is. Now, there's an interesting part here because people are biased towards, you know, selling their uh, winners too early and holding on to their losers too long. But that shouldn't get in the way of rebalancing. Because investing isn't just about return, it's about risk mitigation when seeking return. So it is a good idea to, when you're up a lot like you are with Meta, trim a little bit. I say it all the time, nobody ever goes broke taking profits. Now that doesn't mean sell at all, because that is a part of your portfolio. But you should have a target in mind, and once you get above that target, you should start to trim it down, especially when the liquidity is there, like it is now. I think having a trailing stop is a perfectly good idea. Oh, okay. And then the second question is, how much of it is it a tight stop or a loose stop? Or uh, I mean, that's that's up to you. How how much of a, your portfolio is it? It's probably about five percent. That's not too egregious. I don't think it needs to be too tight. So so put a generous stop on it, like uh, I would like say. 10%? Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're if you're at seven, eight, nine, ten percent in one company, you probably want. Um, but if you are near where you want to be in terms of your weight in your portfolio, you're not risking that much in terms of your overall portfolio. I don't see any with having a loop stop. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thanks for the call. Now we're quickly moving through the fourth with the first quarter. Excuse me. We're not at the end of the year yet. And here we're already halfway through February. And as we've been talking and telling you for a while now, we are in a new market environment. So serious investors need to be able to adjust their thinking and strategies to fit the times. Let me remind you that here on Invest Talk and at KPP Financial, we operate with a philosophy of independent thinking and shared success. We offer unbiased gui- guidance and practice parallel investing where we invest alongside our clients in our investment strategy that we implement for ourselves. I encourage you to take advantage of our offer to provide a free portfolio review assessment via telephone, Skype, or GoToMeeting. Send us a message through investtalk.com. This is Invest Talk now with close to 58 million downloads, and our work continues in 30 seconds, so hang on tight. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. Everyone's situation is different. Just wanted to get your opinion on JP Morgan. And so are their questions. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. Each podcast is unique and you set the agenda. I'm wondering if now 24/7 rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. 888-99 chart. Hello, hi, uh, my name is uh, Anand. I just had a question about a stock I own. Uh, so first of all, 
was wondering how's Steve? I mean, I haven't heard from Steve in a while, and uh, just wondering. I've literally listened to you guys for almost 20 years since college. Anyhow, my question is regarding uh, Star Surgical. It's the company I own as a glass wearer. I was wondering what you think of the product, and also what do you think of the stock? I'll be waiting to hear from you guys. Thank you very much, Justin. Bye. Well, thank you for the call, and and I think the most important question first is how is how is Steve doing? And you know, Steve's Steve's hanging in there. He's he's fighting the good fight as he uh, as he is prone to do. And I know that he greatly appreciates all of the wishes that you have sent him and his family. So, thank you so much for that. And moving on to Star Surgical. Star Surgical engages in the development, manufacture, production, marketing, and sale of implantable lenses for the eye and delivery systems used to deliver the lenses into the eye specializes in refractive and cataract solutions. I don't know much about the product, um, but looking at the company, looks like it's got very modest debt levels, $31 million on a $1.4 billion market cap company. It's issued a lot of shares in the past five years as a percentage of shares, but not too many shares in terms of total share value. Two things that make me pause, profitability, it's taken a hit in the past year, dropped pretty precipitously. Cash flow, it's taken a hit as well. Their earnings per share, relatively stable, projected to grow in 2024, but actually shrink in 2025. And it seems to me from a technical perspective, let me take a look at this chart real quick. It looks like it's been in a pretty persistent downtrend. Now, earnings have been pretty stable. They had some downgrades last year. Overall, the thing that's really bringing me pause is the profitability and the cash flow. It's been significantly strong up until about January of last year relative to the Russell 3000, the overall US market, but it's been falling. So when you add the fact that there are new shares being issued pretty consistently, that profitability is taking a hit, that cash flow is taking a hit. And on top of that, you have 13.6% short interest. I would say that the market is telling that the company is not fundamentally strong. Thanks for the call. Let's squeeze in another caller question now from 888-99-CHUCK. Hey, in best talk, I was trying to reach uh, Justin or Luke. This is Andrew from Atlanta. I was trying to reach out for your analysis of eBay. Once again, I'm just trying to find out what you think the stock may be doing going forward. Is this a position that I should keep? Do you think I could be profitable if perhaps selling this stock off and reinvesting into something else? Once again, I'm just trying to consolidate. I own too much. Love the show. Hope you guys have a great day. Thank you. The question is about eBay. I think everyone knows what eBay is. I remember back when I was younger, my mom used to sell China on eBay, porcelain China. But eBay is a commerce company, for those who may not know about it. And it's got quite a bit of debt. It's got $9 billion worth of debt on a $21 billion market cap company. And its profitability has taken a hit in the past three years. In 2023, it would negative earnings per share. Uh, which could be due to some outstanding items because this year it's projected to be positive, $4.20, $4.46 in 2025. And it looks like the chart's consolidated. 
a pretty significant amount over the past year or so, but it's not that strong. Let's look at its valuation. Its price to book value is about 3.7 relative to the average of 7.3 over the past five years. It's trading at a price to earnings of 9.4, which is well below its five-year average. Looking at how it is technically in terms of strength, looking at how much debt it has relative to its market cap, it looks like a company that's ripe to maybe have its dividend of 2.3% cut if they can't turn some things around. Its EBIT to interest is actually okay. Its interest coverage is about nine times, but for me, it's just got a little bit too much debt given where we are. So I would have to pass on adding more to eBay. And maybe if you own as much as you, as much as you do, you say you own a lot, you might want to trim it down a little bit. Now, this is Invest Talk. I'm Luke Guerrero. We have one goal here, to help you achieve financial freedom. And our work continues after this break. So get your questions in now to 888-99-CHART. No two portfolios are alike, and every investor has a unique set of circumstances. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, InvestTalk family. This is Stephen out of Charleston, South Carolina. Got Steve on the mind, hoping everything is going well with him or getting better, to say the least. I had a question about ticker symbol W-I-N-M, Winmark. It is like the secondary Sports merchandiser. I play it against sports. I've had my eye on it. Seems to just keep growing, growing. Not a huge dividend. Wanted to jump into it earlier. They, they did pull back and I put a little bit of my taxable account into it. Not much. Just mostly to keep an eye on it and try to pick up some change on the path of watching it grow. Let me know what your thoughts are on this company. Again, it's ticker symbol W-I-N-M. Winmark. Looks attractive. Thanks, y'all. Appreciate everything you do. Thank you for the call and the kind words for Steve. I'll certainly pass those along. Widmark Corp engages in the franchising of five value-oriented retail concepts that buy, sell, and trade gently used merchandise. Provides consulting and advisory services to franchisers through the franchise partners segment. It's about a billion, $1.3 billion market cap company. Got 4% short interest at the small cap. It's really being shorted. Uh, not too much, but it's certainly being shorted a little bit. It's got very minimal debt, and it's been consistently growing earnings over the past five years. One issue, and I will say that it is actually Winmark Corporation is W-I-N-A, not W-I-N-M, I believe, as, as, the, as the caller said. So I just want to direct everybody to the, to the correct company. Um, but going back to my original thought, one issue I have is, is, and sometimes you see this with some of these small cap companies, is there's a lack of coverage and estimates. Even with the tools that I have, I'm having a difficulty in seeing uh, earnings projections, so it's tough to see market sentiment as it changes. But there are some good things that I'm seeing. It's got dividend yield that is a little bit. It's not egregious for the size of the company. They have minimal debt. Their interest coverage ratio is nearing 20 times, which means they can service the debt they have, and their cash flow is stable, as are their profits. And you've seen that reflected in the technical nature of the chart. It's been very strong. It had a recent drop-off in the past couple months, but it's been very strong. Overall, 
I think it might be a little overvalued. It's trailing price to earnings is about 34. Again, I don't have good estimates on forward-looking data, so it's tough to say. But its price to sales is also 16.7, which seems a little egregiously high to me. So I don't have any issues with the company fundamentally. I think it has a strong balance sheet. I think the business model is fine. I just think right now, especially given the recent run-up over the past year, it's a little bit overvalued. So I wouldn't be looking to add anything to it just yet. Now, before we wrap up, I wanted to briefly mention on one topic, and that is the U.S. separating from the rest of the world in terms of economic growth. The U.K. and Japan, as I mentioned earlier, saw a second consecutive quarter of shrinking GDP. Now, despite these downturns, the U.S. economy expanded by 3.3% over the same period, defying economists' expectations with its resilience. This divergence is attributed to several factors, including the U.S.'s surprising strength amidst rising interest rates in the aftermath of the Ukraine war, which particularly affected Europe through soaring energy prices. Consumer spending in the U.S. has shown remarkable resilience, as we've discussed, bolstered by the fiscal impulse that has remained at historically high levels outside of recession periods. This contrasts with the UK, where consumer spending fell despite wage growth outpacing inflation for the first time in two years, and in Japan, where consumers also reined in spending as prices rose faster than wages. Looking ahead, forecasts suggest that the growth gap between the US and other major economies like the UK and Germany, who recently took Japan's place as the fourth largest economy, will narrow but remain significant, with the U.S. expected to grow by 2.1% this year, compared to 0.7% for the U.K. and 0.3% for Germany. Despite the gloomy end of 2023, job markets in Europe and Japan have remained tight, leading some to believe that although they had negative GDP growth, it's probably not fair to label the current downturns in the U.K. and Japan as full-blown recessions. Still, This divergence is important as we as investors must take note of where the companies that we invest in have exposure to not just revenue, but growth. Now, I'm Luke Guerrero, and this completes another Invest Talk program. We thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell your friends and your family about our free podcast downloads. Get yours anytime at iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Please be sure to review and rate us on iTunes. Remember to follow us on social media and come learn more about us at investtalk.com. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.